heaven? No. It's Iowa. Eric, Eric, I've, I've got a great pitch for a killer podcast. It's better be good. I hear 50,000 pitches a year. All right, all right, all right. Well, just hear me out. You are going to love this. Okay, 25 words or less. Great, 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 great. All right, all right. These these two schlubby middle-aged white dudes, they they talk about movies. Man, that's not very original. No, but but but, but here's the catch. Here's the catch. Each movie they talk about connects to Field of Dreams in some way. That might work. How about uh, we have some sort of heist, shootout, huge celebrity guests, maybe – you know, and, and in a battle at high noon. Oh, definitely. We can even throw in a steamy sex scene between the co-hosts. All right, call my office in the morning. It's the player on the Pod of Dreams. From director Robert Altman comes a story yeah. of Hollywood. I got a writer in here who's got a pitch I think you ought to hear. I think it's hot. Griffin Mill is a hotshot studio executive. He's heard every pitch. He knows all the angles and all the players. We're the stars. No stars. No stars. Bruce Willis. I want Bruce Willis. Not Bruce Willis. No Schwarzenegger. Junior Robbins. Now, he's about to star. How did this get here? They're coming from a writer. Hello, is David Kane there, please? This is. This is Griffin Mill. Who's a dead man? In his most unforgettable story yet. Stop all the postcards. I don't like postcards. I want This is a tough story. A tragedy. Not unlike Ghost meets Manchurian Candidate. The trouble is... something you have to know. If you went to Pasadena with intent to kill, you could go to the gas chamber. It's not a movie. I'd like you to come down to the station. I would hate to get the wrong person arrested. Oh, please. This is Pasadena. We do not arrest the wrong person. That's L.A. It's his life. Are you seeing someone else? You took her to a party, Griffin, with several hundred of my best friends. Do places like this really exist? Only in movies. Robert Altman's The Player. So, Eric, we are talking about the Robert Altman film The Player, and it's a movie that follows a movie executive, and there's an awful lot of talk about how movies end, should end, how they can make money ending, what kind of endings people want. And this one, we get the kind of phony Hollywood ending where our protagonist gets the woman, gets everything he wants, and everything's great and happy. Were you happy with that ending? Uh, I loved the ending of this movie, if that's what you're asking. Absolutely loved it. Now, did you love it because you were rooting for our guy to succeed? No, no, it was incredibly dark. I, this ending freaking bummed me out, man. It was super dark. But I think that's the point, right? It's uh, like, oh, I agree. You, you and I agree. It's like we get the fake happy wood ending. Oh, no. The way this movie ended, I was just like, holy shit. But that it's is dark and, and dark and awful. Yes. Yeah. And you yeah, you don't you don't get the the true. You get an ending that's overtly happy, but in a way that's depressing. This, uh, and, the bad guy won. It's like correct. the Thanos ending of this movie. You're watching the, the villain get the hot lady and the big corner office and all this success. And then the movie ends like, wait a second, this this guy murdered somebody and got away yeah. with it. Yeah. yeah. It's dark. It was, this is a right. really dark ending. It is. So we'll, we'll cut it. We'll, we'll go back here. So it starts off. Um, well, I'll explain why I picked this movie. I love Robert Altman movies. He's got a very kinetic style. 
Um, sometimes it's pretty meandering. I didn't think this one meandered so much. No, it didn't think, have it didn't have the like mumbling, just people sort of talking over each other. This movie yeah, didn't it, have that. No, there was a little bit of that, but not a lot. It had a pretty clear plot. But this is one I haven't seen. I've seen a lot of his stuff from the '70s, and then Robert Altman has this dark phase in the '80s where he did like Popeye and probably some other stuff that I don't recall and, and isn't really well regarded. And then he has this resurgence in the '90s, and The Player is one of those movies, along with like Shortcuts. Uh, I hadn't seen this before, and so I really wanted to watch it uh, for good things. And this is why I watched it. But we get oh, to, this is a first time watch for you, also. Correct, correct. Okay. Yeah, and right. I, I started this very tired at the end of the day once, and I was like, I'm just going to watch part of it. And then I got immediately pulled in and just kept saying, all right, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then I, I watched the whole thing. Uh, I mean, which is kind of a spoiler to the review. I'm going to give it at the end, but uh, we get Tim Robbins. who's this like vice president at some movie studio. I, I don't remember if it's Fox or whatever it is, but he, he's I don't think pitched. they say, I don't think they ever say what. Oh, yeah. They probably is. don't. They probably don't for reasons having to not want to right. piss those studios off, but the other ones get referenced all the time. Uh, but he gets pitched all the time. He's getting a pitch from like Buck Henry, the guy who wrote The Graduate, and Buck Henry's pitching The Graduate too. It's hilarious. Everybody's desperately trying to get his ear, and he's getting pitched to constantly in this movie. Uh, and he he's going through a rough. He's about to be replaced in the yeah, series. Yeah, but you're, really spo- you're spoiling. You're spo- you're skipping over like one of the most incredible parts of this whole movie is that yeah. opening sequence. The tracking shot. The track, and then and then you got the guy from Tremors walking through because he's a security guy. And he's, Ward, ta- yep. he's he's talking to I think the other guy pitching pitching a movie and he's he's telling him about the you know the amazing track Orson Welles tra- tracking shot in A Touch of Evil and they're walking through this huge tracking shot where it goes in between offices and in the parking lot I mean it's got to be a good 15 minutes of oh, just yeah. one shot uh, I I was blown away I actually rewound it and watched the whole thing over again because I was like whoa holy shit that's so brilliant and then you know then commenting on the fact that it's a tracking shot and how that's like the the better way to open a movie I thought that was pretty meta and uh, pretty cool yeah this whole the whole movie is very meta uh, for sure I mean it's very cognizant of the way movies are made and yeah deeply cynical about the process doesn't have a lot of love for movie making even though it's a super well made movie one of the great ironies yeah no it does start off gorgeously and you get to see the whole studio and everything you're surrounding and it pulls out from the office and you get to just be introduced to the You whole. also meet all the char- you know, the main characters Correct. in the film too. Yep. yep, you get you get the vibe, you get the feel, you get to see where you're at, you're seeing how the sausage is made, you're seeing all the characters and where they stand. Um, but it turns out Tim Robbins is getting he he gets a lot of pitches from writers and he turns down the vast majority of them, which is probably something you knew, but some writers disagree with Tim Robbins' assessment of their scripts, and he's getting threatening postcards, uh, which starts off as just kind of a little side thing with what else he's got going on, but ends up becoming a bigger deal when he ends up confronting one of the writer he thinks is sending the postcards. Fucking okay, Vincent D'Onofrio, right? Uh, yep, yeah. it is. Yep. I, at D'Onofrio first, was. I was like, wait, he's, is that Vincent D'Onofrio? And sure enough, it was. Yeah, it took me a second. I was like, yeah, I recognize it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that is him. That's like pre-Kingpin and post-Full Metal Jacket. Oh, yeah, there, there he is being the kind of writer. And uh, there's so many lovely touches. So when he first, first of all, he doesn't know the, what the writer looks like. So he, he, he calls the guy's house and a woman answers. And this was one of the only scenes I didn't like in the movie. Yeah. You talked about yep. Mumbly. I couldn't really hear the conversation on the phone very well. He's talking on a cell phone um, or like his car phone. And he's creeping around this woman's house 
he pokes his head in the window and she doesn't see him. And that's just one of my pet peeves is like somebody's like literally standing in the window a few feet away and she doesn't notice him. I find that implausible. It's one of those things that I, I can't get past. And it couldn't understand the dialogue. It was like using weird. I don't know if they reported the audio. Through That's the, the Altman shit that I hate. Yeah, it's like they're yeah, mumbling. I, I can't that, understand what they're saying. You mentioned that last it's week. Like, it's like, did they not want to redo it so we understand what the hell they're saying? Or do you just not even care? Is that part of the point? It doesn't even matter what they're saying. But yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't feel that they, I mean, I think it does matter. If I guess if he felt it didn't, I, I disagree. Yeah, it was annoying that I couldn't couldn't understand it. That was, you mentioned that and I was trying to keep it here out. That was the one time I was like, okay, yeah, this is what Eric was talking about. This is this is frustrating. But that's the only time that, that happened. And then I just didn't like, it's just make him be creepier and not put his head in the window that she doesn't see. She's just that oblivious. I don't know. But anyway, I love she how tells, she like hooked the phone because this is like old school. This, yeah, this early movie, 90s. Like, early, yeah. So she had like the, 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 you know, uh, the landline where she like clipped it to her belt, which is like, so she must be on, on that phone a lot. But I thought that was like a funny touch that kind of dates the movie a bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, the movie is very of its time, for sure. Uh, I mean, the movies of uh, way they're made is changing and, and who gets to decide who makes movies is changing. But uh, she tells him that the writer is at a movie called The Bicycle Thief. I doubt you've seen The Bicycle Thief, Eric. Have you even heard of The Bicycle Thief? I had not. I actually was like, oh, maybe I should check that out. There's a reason he made it that movie, right? Yeah, well, we'll get into that. I, I Someday when I want to torture you, um, I'll pick either Bicycle Thief or the same director as a movie called Umberto D, which is also one of my favorite movies. They're, they're movies I don't think you are would like. Are they silent movies? Is it, are these no, they're not talkies? silent, but they're, they're – no, they're, they're, they're talkies for sure. But this is <laughs> Italy, post-World War II, there's this movement called neorealism. These are people who believed film or cinema should absolutely perfectly or as perfectly as possible reflect reality. So not professional actors, finding people who – aren't acting they are the part that they, that's who they are and they're very depressing um they just show people struggling and you know not oh, sounds like a like a riot i can't wait so yes that that's a very very conscious choice to show a movie that values realism stark bummer everybody nobody can make any i mean literally bicycle thief a guy has he's lucky enough to have a job in post-world war ii italy his bike is stolen he spends the whole movie trying to find it eventually finds it but it's gone the person's like sold it and then he considers stealing a bike himself and doesn't doesn't <laughs> ends up ends up not taking the bike and feeling bad or getting stopped and then gives it back to the person then him, him and his son just yeah screw, screw Pulp fiction let's watch that well but that's this gets into it i love those movies uh, I, i'm a weirdo you're you're an everyday guy you are you know bread and butter americana male uh i, I love those movies because they're so different depressing but super well shot and conveying an aspect of reality that you don't see all the time but they i don't don't think they made a lot of money they're loved by weirdos uh but you know they don't make a lot of money and that's a clearly conscious choice here's a movie that's beloved but made very little money that people don't want to see except for a very small group of people versus here's the shit that's going to make a ton of ton of money uh that's the tension at the heart uh, of the movie and there's a a cold logic to the choices that Tim Robbins makes with scripts. Uh, and I love that. But he was supposed thing. to be like the writer's guy, right? Like that was one of the, the studio had kept saying it, like he's the, the writer's friend. So I thought that was kind of an interesting that, you know, he ends up obviously, as I mentioned, he ends up killing the writer, but like that was his, that was like his, his sort of calling card within the studio. And writers like, hated him. At least two writers absolutely hated him. Probably more. Yeah, that's a it's one of the great ironies. He's a writer's guy because most people will 
he saw the uh, or he worked he worked well with writers was the yeah what they kept saying about him yeah the guy that was going to replace him and i can't think of the actor's name um i like how he's like considering just getting rid of writers i mean this yeah. just shows you where they stand he's like why don't we just not have writers i mean that's fine we don't need writers and he's just like we're just gonna pull headlines and <laughs> make scripts out of them for nothing yeah he's like why don't we just get rid of actors and directors too maybe we got something here i thought that was pretty funny no yeah it's true uh so anyway it's there's this tension all throughout the movie and you you get the cold logic i mean they make x number of movies a year that's all the budget they have and this is how many pitches you got like uh you're just not going to happen you know you're just not going to be able to have your scripts made and they're only gonna make stuff that's commercial but i love he's being hounded by this guy with postcards who puts a snake in his car and and threatens him and wants to meet him at this bar but tim robbins can't go anywhere without people pitching him because it's Hollywood and everything revolves around the movie industry. He goes to a bar. He's told to go to a bar and sit at a table and he sees people he knows. Uh, and then they pitch him a movie and he decides to buy it there randomly when he wasn't planning on being there. And then, you know, the whole thing about this movie that they're going to make, Eric, is that it's true. It's going to be this depressing movie about a woman being wrongfully convicted and about to be executed on death row. And somebody's going to find out that she's innocent and try to save her and get there too late. Right. A bummer. That's the, that's what they're going for. You get the, the the real bummer ending, and then of course by the end, I love I love the spoof parody at the very end. Yeah, uh, and Julia Roberts is playing. They they wanted no stars, right? They wanted it to be a neo realist movie. That's what that's what the guy's pitching him is this no professional. He's pitching him a neo realist movie, and then they have Julia Roberts who's about to die, and then Bruce Willis blasts through with a shotgun and saves her at the last second. Well, it's funny because all lines. the pitches that he heard i think almost every single one of them inevitably someone was like you know we could get bruce willis for this it was like it was like a running gag in the movie that they were gonna whatever whatever pitch it was it's like oh we can get bruce willis i think he's free and then he had ended up being in the movie in the end yeah and julia roberts and these are both i mean they did the same gag with uh, Whoopi goldberg wasn't he pitching one in the earlier part of the movie and say i think we can get Whoopi in it and then she has lots of meta stuff she ended up having like a big part she was the detective in the movie yeah oh yes but yeah they didn't but yeah she wasn't playing herself and the irony she'd already won an oscar but she was holding an oscar and be like oh my god this is what an oscar feels like yeah she already won one for ghost by that point so there's all these like winking nods about Hollywood and, and, and life. And then, you know, Lyle Lovett being this creepy guy who follows him around. But, um, but I mean, the, the setup, the, the act one setup is that Tim Robbins confronts Vincent D'Onofrio uh, to, to what end? We don't really know. He just wants the postcards to stop. He's just agitated and he kills Vincent D'Onofrio, the writer who he thinks is sending in this postcard. Well, and he was going to give him a, that, that part confused me. So like he confronts him and D'Onofrio is like, you ignored my pitch. You don't even remember it. And then he's like, no, I, I want. we'll buy it. We'll make you a movie. He didn't even know what he looked like. That was great. Like, he's in and, there. But then D'Onofrio gets more mad at him. It's like, why didn't? Why are you – he's offering you the thing you wanted. Why are you getting pissed off? I, that that confused me. I didn't understand that. I think he didn't believe him is how I read that. Like, oh, yeah, okay, you said you'd call me. Well, he came all the way down there and saw him at a bar and took him out to a karaoke place. Like, he seemed pretty, like – involved in this process yeah maybe he didn't remember the pitch but like obviously there was a reason he's there like it, I, I don't know it's just, if you're a, a struggling screenwriter and this studio guy who you tried to pitch what a month or so ago all of a sudden shows up and is like hey let me hear it out like why would you be angry about that no. I, I was confused i didn't make it i i thought like okay tim robbins is like getting frustrated with him he, i thought he had every right now 
I'm not saying he should have killed the guy, but uh, yeah, I was just confused by why he why D'Onofrio was upset with him. I mean, because well, he he knew it was fake and that he wasn't there for a script. He but was he it read, That's look. That's my take. People can disagree, but I think he didn't think Tim Robbins was out there for his uh, script. He thought he was out there to be harassed. He hunted him down, called his house, found him, and wasn't actually going to pay to make a script. I mean, I guess if you believe that he's going to pay you a big chunk of money to make your script or at least buy the script, whether they make it or not, sure, you forgive and forget. Like, okay, well, here's well, 500 grand. Is it supposed grand. to be like he's the struggle? He's not going to compromise his values for this, like, studio guy? He, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't see it that way, uh, but you could take it that way. Like he's a purist. Like you uh, pass on me now, you know, get out of here. I don't want, I don't want to work with you anyways. Like that sort of thing. If the irony is that the writers don't end up mattering either by the end. I mean, there's just a ton, tons of ways this can go. Cause Vincent Nafria dies and doesn't end up mattering. The guy that pitches him, uh, they don't use hardly any ideas from the real script and they just changed it based on, you know, focus groups anyway. So it hardly matters um, what they do with the writers. And I love the writers. But yeah, it's this, it's this dichotomy where like, I think, you know, we were kind of last, the last episode we were talking about the like 70s new Hollywood where it was like the directors and writers, they had all the power. Like they could make any movie they wanted. It was, it was like what the movie they wanted. But that shifted, I guess, at some point where it was like that. It was just the studios just decided Basically, everything. Jaws and Star Wars is what people yeah. tend to say. Like you showed us, oh, this is what we need to do. This is how we make this kind of movie. These will make. I mean, that's how it is now with like Mark, like Kevin Feige's. Like we want this movie. We'll just hire this person. Like Chloe Zhao make Eternals. It's not her movie really in any way at all. I mean, it's this piece together, like jumbled mess. I think. Oh yeah. And it's I, not, I haven't it's seen not, it, but yeah. It's not, like a, it's not like somebody – she's won an Oscar for Best Picture. Like, it's not her movie at all. That's I mean, I think that's what they're commenting on is where, like, these studio guys, they're the ones that decide what happens in the movie through the <laughs> end, whatever. Like, the whole thing is, like, they that's have exactly all, all the saying. power. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I mean, Tim Robbins kills a guy and they end up not being able to convict him. Well, it's I probably, think th- that's more about, like – Privilege, right? Isn't that the rich can get away with anything? Well, and and I in particular. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they, didn't they make some comment about Rodney King too? Wasn't God? I got Maybe I'm thinking of something else. I thought there was a no, little no, no, bit. no, yes, yeah. no. Whoopi Goldberg. I, I love the scene. They they bring him in for questioning, and they know he's guilty, but they just need to get enough right. evidence to to prove it. So they talk about how oh, we got the wrong guy. You're the wrong guy. Oh, Rodney King was the wrong guy. Oh, but but you're you're the wrong i mean there was this whole like okay the the wrong guy that's what the wrong guy looks like uh and the right guy you know anyway this is a rich uh, the white wrong, studio head like he could do whatever he can kill a guy and get away with it you know it's like I, yeah. and i couldn't help but think of of harvey weinstein who was about to like take over the world uh a film world for a while like miramax is about to take off in the mid 90s uh it's, it's possible not to think about harvey weinstein getting away with his shit for two three decades however long it was uh, because he kept making hit movies and making people a lot of money. Uh, and that was where my head went. But yeah, I mean, it's about privilege, but I think specifically in the context of, of film. Uh, but yeah, there's all this tension between movies as an art form. Basically, I mean, you could say it this way. Movies as an art form, quote unquote, movies as a product. And on the one side, you have the studios that want to make money. So they're just trying to sell a product that'll make money. They just want to return on their investment with profit. And the other one, you're trying to make something that's artistic and meaningful and, uh, it's clear that that the artistic doesn't win out uh 
which is cynical, but I think ultimately true. I mean, movies have been about making money basically since movies have been around since the Thomas Edison days of the you know early 20th century. I mean, that's why the movie studios are in California. It's because people couldn't make movies without getting sued by Thomas Edison in New York or New Jersey. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, there's there's a ton tons of things to love about this movie. Um, so Eric, yeah, so we were talking about one of the worst scenes in it, which is just that you can't hear what's going on. But if you had to pick a favorite scene, is it that tracking shot at the beginning? That or the end? I mean, where it cuts ahead was it five years or one oh, year? Just one year. It's oh, it's just it, one okay. year. Where it cuts ahead one year and and it's just you know you just find out that he's basically going to get away with murder and and it cuts ahead and then he's all of a sudden the studio he's the head of the studio he's got this beautiful wife a kid on the way and then it just kind of pans out like it is a happy ending and it's just so so dark i was like yeah, oh my god this is crazy. it's one of the most well-lit but darkest endings I mean, yeah. it's just like it's so bright and sunny and you want it to be false but it's true it's like uh, i think at one point they talk about having you know sugar with the medicine is how they justify adding like sex scenes or whatever but we need a little sugar with the medicine of course most movies end up being just all sugar and virtually no medicine but yeah no i loved it i mean i think that that really sealed the deal and uh, well and he marries the woman that was with the guy he murdered oh yeah it's as dark as as it gets um yeah and he says the lines from the movie yeah within the movie i I was gonna say I, i will say tim robbins not a huge fan of him as an actor. Uh, I he's mean, he's kind of always Tim Robbins. He's one of those dudes that I just feel like I'm looking at Tim Robbins. But he, he works in this movie because the guy's supposed to suck, right? Like you're supposed to. He's, he's going to murder somebody and get away with it. He's a he's a studio executive. He's like he's got like the trifecta of like terrible, awful, shitty things. But it works for Tim Robbins because I think Tim Robbins guns this kind of sucks. He has a very punchable face. He's a guy that just I don't like it. I, I, you know, he's in Shawshank and you know, that's probably his best movie, but I, God, could anyone else you, have done that? I, you wanted Andy Dufresne to stay in jail. Cause he's just so punchable. You think he belonged. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Oh, man. Hud sucker. Like I, I, people love that movie. I've never seen it. He kind of bugs me in that as well. So yeah, okay. it's just, he's one of those actors that I think he works really great in this movie, but normally that would be too much for me. Like, if they remade this, would Paul Rudd play the player? I think Paul Rudd could do that. What do you think? Wait. Isn't Paul Rudd too likable? I mean, let's, <laughs> at any point, did you identify with Tim Robbins at any point in the movie? Like, where you're like, I'm kind of on his side for you? No, no, not okay. at all. Yeah. You're pretty much against him from day one, but people are pitching him stuff, and you're like, oh, screw this guy. Yeah. Okay. I thought so. I For me, yeah. Okay, interesting. I mean, I, it, it didn't take long. Um but uh, you know, in the beginning, you, you're a movie executive. You don't have movie executives. You don't have movies. If you want to have a big time movie made, you've got to go to a movie studio, and they get to say no. Um, you know, I love the the writers all think they're so brilliant and they're entitled to a million dollars or whatever they're getting for a script is is interesting because they want to make the next Bicycle Thief, but those movies don't get made uh, unless somebody thinks they're going to make money. Uh, so the other thing I thought was really cool about this movie is like all the celebrity cameos. I thought oh, that yeah. was kind of cool. I mean, I, you could, there's a million you could name, but um, a lot of Oscar winners too. I think I saw something that it had more Oscar winning actors than any other movie in history. 
just like as cameos and and in in the movie, which I thought probably was cool. did. I yeah, I wouldn't even be able to name them all, but yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's like Gary Busey, uh, Burt Reynolds was in it for a bit. Uh, oh yeah, Jack Lemmon, Cher was in it, right? John yeah. Cusack. There's, I mean, just a million, a, a million cameos. Andy McDowell, a bunch yeah. more. Peter Falk, Fred Ward, who you mentioned already, Buck Henry. Uh, yeah, and that, we were only scratching the surface. Um, no, I mean, and, and all of his movies tend to have like tons of celebrity cameos. Nashville's like that. Um, and he's got several others, kind of big ensemble pieces. <clears throat> I love the Lily Tomlin. Like, you know, we see them shooting Lily Tomlin's in a motel with uh, the guy who plays Bishop in Alien. Scott it's Glenn. Like, Scott, yeah. Scott Glenn, yeah. They're in there, and it's you see you first see the shot of them like acting, and it pulls out, and then you just see how phony it is. And how artificial it is. You get to see the artifice all throughout the movie, which is I love. I mean, I, I love the movies are very fake. They're all big lies, almost all of them. Um, but of course, that's what we love about them, the big lies. And, you know, they would make different kind of movies if those different kind of movies would make money. But they don't care about anything but making money. So, you know, we get what we deserve is also kind of the lesson. Um, and, yeah, and you know, sometimes the bad guys win. I had a question for you. <clears throat> Sure. And were car fax machines ever a real thing? Oh, gosh, I forgot about the car fax. I mean, um, honestly, when that popped in there, I was like, that can't I, – I never knew anybody that had a car fax machine. I never see that, – that can't be real, right? If it, was, if it was real, it would have been real in the early 90s for a, like, vice president of a movie studio. Like, if somebody was going to have a device that absurd, it would be a movie studio executive in the 90s before – Cell phones had it. Yeah, you gotta fax a headshot or something to him, and he's gotta print it out in his car. I thought that was bonkers. It was bonkers. You're right. No, you're you're totally right. Um, so I mean, did you want the snake to bite Tim Robbins? Was that you know when he finds? Well, that would have been like you know he would have got what he deserved, right? Like he the snake bites him, he dies right there. Then the movie ends. You know, little little bit of justice for what he did, but. No, of course not. He kills the snake and gets away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And one of the great ironies of the movie is that he doesn't even kill the writer that was sending him the threats. So that writer ends up presumably getting like a million, million dollars to write the script. For the, the player, right? Isn't yes, that, correct. Isn't that what yeah. He's, yeah. Yep. That's the, the bow on top. I mean, um, I've breathlessly talked about this movie, Eric, so I, I don't have a whole lot more to say. Anything else you want to dive into on the player no i i liked it i did you think i was gonna not like it when you picked this movie i didn't know you well see no i would have thought you would have liked it but then we and this is all off the podcast you talked about how you didn't like a couple of those movies from the 70s and i didn't know enough about this because i'd seen shortcuts before which is much more of the meandering characters are talking and there's just like concurrent action weaving through and it doesn't focus on one plot um so I didn't know that. But then when I watched it, I didn't think I would have been like, oh, I'll be shocked if Eric hates this. Yeah, no, I really liked it. I, I really liked it. I was like, I mean, it's, it's well shot. I mean, you, you don't like Tim Robbins, but that, that didn't ruin the movie for you. Um, and I was like, I mean, this movie has something to say. It's super interesting. Uh, it was great to look at. I, I, said, I, I was going to just watch part of it at first. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm watching the whole thing. This is great. Well, that's a great uh, so, segue. Yeah, what, what would you give it? So, 
Tim yeah, Robbins so, and all. So the, I, I gave it four stars, four out of five. That was my rating. Liked a lot of it. There are some scenes that I didn't care for. Tim Robbins, you're going to drop a star for sure by by just Tim Robbins alone. Oh, wow. But, so Shawshank Redemption is no better than four stars. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but like the movie reminded me a lot of like Hail Caesar. Do you remember that Coen Brothers movie? Hail oh, Caesar? yeah, I do. Yeah, like, that was get, movie get Shorty, you know. I'm not seeing Get Shorty. Oh, Get Shorty's a great movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just sort of like sort of thrillers around Hollywood and, you know, studio lots and stuff. Those are always fun, I think. Uh, but this one has also that sort of twist to it where it's this just like scathing sort of criticism of, of that lifestyle. So, yeah, I give it four. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I realize like I keep picking all these movies I love and I'm giving them really effusive reviews. But uh, I go four and a half stars. I don't have, I mean, I don't think I love Tim Robbins. I, he's always just kind of playing Tim Robbins whenever I see him in a movie. Um, like Christian Bale, Christian Bale is the like. Yeah, Christian Barbie. Bale is a bazillion times better actor than Tim Robbins. He would do done much better. Right. Like, yeah. Christian Bale was doing like newsies around this time though. So no, that no, no, I know. But if they were, if you're going to like redo it now, I think Christian oh, okay. Bale does like a million times better. No, he, I mean, like he, American psycho Christian sure. Bale. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, it, it, you're right. There are a lot of people you could cast better in the movie, but it, it, the casting of this didn't matter all that much. Uh, you just needed somebody to be kind of selfish jerk, and, uh, you know, it doesn't even almost matter because what matters is everything around the person, the infrastructure of the movie studio, and just the the wealth and the opulence and the privilege everywhere he gets to go, um, and then just his scheming. Uh, but I loved it. The only thing that was bad really was the that scene where he's at the writer's house creeping on the woman and the creeping is uncomfortable, but that should be uncomfortable. It's just that you couldn't hear the dialogue. It was too long, too. That his, whole scene was way too long. It was. Uh, that's the only like bad scene in the movie, I felt. I found her character really annoying. Yes. Uh, I, I was like, I don't like words, at least not up to sentences. Like, oh, gosh. You're trying so hard to be interesting that you're boring and dull and annoying. Um, not not a lot of like great women characters in this movie. I mean, there's this no. girlfriend in the beginning, and she's I mean, she's just trying to do her job and hustle, and he kind of throws her to the curb. But other than yeah, that, then he, there's the girlfriend, the other girlfriend. So not not yeah, a, ton of a great female one. representation in this movie, which I, I think is I I mean I, I don't know you want to give Robert Altman credit for that if he's doing that intentionally or if he's part of the problem he might just be part of the problem but it works for the cynicism of the early '90s Hollywood um you know yeah he, and the fact that he of, made one of the pseudo executives a woman like I guess is sort of progressive. There probably weren't a ton back then. Well, no, I'm saying the opposite, that it's male-dominated women weren't given a lot of power and and privilege, and their perspectives weren't valued or hardly seen. But, yeah, and there's one executive, and she gets promoted, but then, of course, she gets fired later on for, I, yeah, I guess now that we're, we're hitting this, I, I also didn't like how she she sees the remade version of this, supposed to be the sad neorealist film, which gets the dopey action romantic ending, and she's really upset by it, and she like throws a hissy fit in a screening room. I had trouble right. buying that. I thought like, okay, she's been around the movie industry long enough that the cynicism would have worn off on her. And it um, wasn't even her project either, right? Like, right. 
That was the right. thing that was confused me too. Because so like Tim Robbins, he he he, he buys this idea. Did he buy it because he thought it was stupid? And he bought no. He bought it. He didn't buy it. Then he, he thought, was going to yeah. ship it off to the other guy. He's like, he did hey, ship it off it. to the other guy. He did ship it off to the other guy. But so then that guy got fired that. though for this movie. That's what I was confused about. No. So what's the guy's name? I uh, it's gonna. It's not Peter Gallagher. It's like Peter something or other. But the Peter Gallagher. Guy, yeah. Uh, is that it? So yeah, he Peter played Gallagher. Larry Levy. Yes, Larry Levy is the character's name. There. Thank you. Yeah. So. Larry Levy, he gives the project to Larry Levy. That was his plan. The only reason he bought the script in the first place. This is uh, so you, you were about to talk me down to a four, and you might have talked me back up to a four and a half. It's great because he, he ends up buying a script. You know, given that he can only say yes to like twelve movies a year or, or whatever it is, he buys a script not because he thinks it'll be a good movie and it'll be great, or even that it'll make money. He buys it so he can set up another executive and screw them over, so he can keep his job or get a promotion. I mean, that's why he does it. Right, because he saw him Peter creeping Gallagher. on his, you know. Yeah, his yeah he was going to lose his job because of Peter Gallagher. So he has, you know, Larry Levy do it. He's like, Larry Levy isn't going to know how to handle this. He doesn't have the experience I do. And he's going to screw it up. Um, and then I'm going to come in and save the day. Like, it's going to be a big mess. So that's what actually happened it. then? Right, that's so, my assumption. I mean, okay. basically, everything that Tim Robbins wanted to make happen. Because we don't see that in the skip ahead year, right? We He's just... He's in well, charge he's of it. Yeah. Yeah. We see that he gets promoted past Larry Levy. Yeah. Cause well, their yeah. boss gets fired. We see that at the end of the thing. Cause that was also leading up was that remember his lawyer, the Sidney Pollock guy was saying that the studio head might be out. That was also part of the whole thing. He didn't know if his boss was going to keep his job. Oh, then, I, I then, think I missed that line. Yeah. Cause then his boss, that's why he has the job at the end. So he, he, he got his boss's job. Um, so he got his boss fired. So, okay. So he, he he gave him a, bought a deliberately bad script so that they tried to make it and fail. Uh, and yeah, that's the, just another, the guy from The Fifth Element. I, I can't. I don't know what else he's been in, but yeah, he was. He's, the, he's, he's a character actor who's just yeah, kind of he, around. He was the studio head in, in in most of the movie. Well, correct. Okay, so that that's interesting. But yeah, no, yeah. I assume that, that worked. That they got him to pay for the script. It wasn't working well. It's costing too much money, and the guy got fired. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I assume that that his whole plan, but he bought this the script not because he loved the artistic merits of it, which is just another layer of cynicism. So, I mean, I'm waffling between a four and a four and a half, but I'll, I'll go with my first energy in four and a half. I mean, I, I that's a movie that's super compelling to watch um, and embodies sort of the horrific contradiction of movies and acknowledges the cynical reality of power of movie studio execs uh, in general. And I, and I love that it gives us gives us a quote-unquote happy ending, which is actually really dark, depressing, and honest. It feels like, yeah, we're getting a lot of medicine um, here. They, they made it work. So I, I love the movie. Um, That's great. I, I will at some point pick a movie that I end up not liking. It'll happen someday. Uh, but today was not that day. Not that day. All right. Uh, five degrees of field of dreams, Ben. You yeah, you have loads first? of options. Yeah, I'll go, well, no. How about you go first? I'm I'm really happy with mine. You sure, yeah, I'll go first. Yeah, like like you said, there's a million. This would be one of those movies if you're struggling to find someone to connect, just like jump to this movie because oh yeah, just about every actor from the '90s you can think of. So and it, so, it connects the '70s and the '90s, early '90s, right. like yeah, different so eras for sure. Uh, so starting with the player, I picked uh, our guy Jeff Goldblum playing himself, right in this movie. Oh my gosh, yes, I already Goldblum. forgot Jeff Goldblum was in it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so Jeff Goldblum is in Grand Budapest uh, Hotel. 
Love that movie. Uh, yeah, I know you love that movie. He's got one great joke in that where uh, what's his face throws his cat out the window. He's like, you just throw my cat out the window? I thought that that's probably my favorite part of that movie. Okay. Um, but okay. Uh, as every Wes Anderson movie, Bill Murray's in that. Um, he, he's also in The French Dispatch, which I just watched. Uh, it was pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. And uh, Willem Dafoe is in that. He's also in Clear and Present Danger with uh, James Earl Jones. And James Earl Jones is in Field Dreams. Got it. Okay. Uh, so some excellent movies in there. Um, I, I've been trying to make a connection for a while. There's a route I've been wanting to take. And it's very tough to get. I needed a, a, a movie to fill in one slot to connect the other two pieces. And I, I'm excited. The player finally finally gave it to me. So we've got the player. One of those cameos is a guy named Elliot Gould, who um, is in the um, I think it's the Big Easy. Um, anyway, another. He's he's in some other. Um, Ocean's Eleven. He's in Ocean's Eleven. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the, he's the old guy in Ocean's Eleven, yeah. but. Um, he's got a bit part on like the red carpet stuff as they're acknowledging the importance of film and how they want to preserve film as an important medium while they're all just getting rich and being absurd and opulent. Anyway, um, Elliot Gould's also got a small part in the Muppet movie from 1979. Uh, definitely love that movie. But the important thing is though, that gets me to Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn is in a movie called Blazing Saddles um, with a lot of people. But in particular, she's with a guy named Slim Pickens. Do you know who Slim Pickens is, Eric? Uh, no, I don't. He's one of the guys that uh, I think he's got this horrific line, like, we raped the way. I mean, he just talks about, about what they're going to do to people in the village. Um, anyway, he's one of the outlaw cowboys in that movie. And he's also in the farting bean scene. Anyway, Slim Pickens is also in, uh, and here's where you may recognize him, Dr. Strangelove. Oh, is he the guy? Yeah, he's a cowboy guy. Yeah, yeah he's the guy that rides the missile down. Okay, um, all right. He's also in a, a movie called 1941, too. Um, and and James Earl Jones is also in Dr. Strangelove. So, um, that's oh, yeah, he there. is. He's one of the pilots. That's right. So, that's and that gets us to, yeah, Field of Dreams. I've been trying to do the Blazing Saddles uh, to Dr. Strangelove. Well, you did it. You did it, man. All right, Eric. So, requiring minds want to know what are we talking about next time? So, uh, the next episode of Pot of Dreams will feature one of my faves, uh, 1989's Batman. And hopefully by the time we do this episode, I will have seen the new Batman. I haven't seen it yet as of recording this episode. But uh, very excited to see that. So I thought we'll jump all the way back to Tim Burton's Batman 1989. Oh, man. It's on Hulu if if, uh, anybody's out there wants to watch it leading up to it's on Hulu. Awesome. All right. Well, next time. And and that's it. That's all we got for the Pot of Dreams. Ben, stay frosty. Hey, Eric, what took you so long? Was was traffic a bitch? (laughs) All right, next time, everybody. (laughs) Take it easy.